Hi everyone, and welcome to The Closet. I'm Dr. Sheila Nazarian, a plastic surgeon in Beverly Hills and the star in the Emmy-nominated Netflix original series, Skin Decision, Before and After. On this show, I talk to today's most influential voices and change makers who inspire others to speak up in a time when it isn't fashionable to do so. I am so excited to launch my podcast with my first guest, the incredible Megan McCain, who I'm a big fan of. Most of you probably know Megan from The View, but that's just a small part of what she's contributed, as you'll learn. So sit back and get inspired. Here's Megan. All right. Hi, everyone. I am Dr. Sheila Nazarian. Welcome to The Closet. Today, I have one of my personal heroes as my guest. is Megan McCain. Needs no introduction. I just want to jump in very quickly and, and, and learn more about Megan. I'm just so fascinated by women in general that are so authentic, so courageous on the outside, right? But as you and I both know, on the inside, we have our moments. Um, we put ourselves uh, in the, the line of fire. And at times that means, um, you know, we, we go into our private spaces and cry and need a ton of support. I started reading your book in preparation for this interview. And I've always been, been following you for many years, but it was so striking to me how human, how authentic, uh, how open you are. And it resonated very, very deeply with me because me personally, as a Persian Jewish girl, I think I'm first generation loudmouth, like I'm first generation, (laughs) you know, out there and speaking and putting myself, um, in that space, but you, I, I feel like you might've had, you know, better mentors in that space with your mom and your dad. Um, so I just wanted to first start with kind of like the making of Megan McCain, like oh, you, know, you were very, you know, involved in, in, in both of your father and mother's, you know, public personas, but take us there. I kind of want to just learn a little bit more about that. Well, first of all, thank you. That's so kind as I'm sure, you know, cause you're outspoken and brave as well. Um, people really love you, really hate you. There's like nothing in between. And I trigger a lot of really positive things and really negative things. And at this age, I'm 38. I don't, you just like let it roll off. I don't care anymore. It really to impact me, you would have to say, or do something like really hideous for it to even Mm -hmm. make a mark, but thank you. Um, I mean, why I'm outspoken, I am really lucky. My parents were, um, my mom's a really strong feminist. And I always like preface sort of like, third wave feminism is sort of like my sweet spot. I'm not into this new fourth wave feminism for a lot Mm -hmm. of different reasons. And my dad was always um, like really empowered by strong women. He had a lot of strong women on his staff. He had a lot of like women around him in general. My grandmother was a twin and lived to be 108 and was like just really intense and strong in her own right and very independent in a way that was very unusual for the era she was in. Um, when she was 100, she went to Rome with her twin sister, and she wanted to rent a car to drive around Rome, and the rental place wouldn't let her rent it, so she bought one, and I always think, like, that is so indicative of the woman in my family. She was like, screw you, I'm gonna, I will figure it out, Um, so I was, grew up just, like, not even, like, really blissful that, like, speak out, be empowered, it didn't even occur to me that that was something that wouldn't be sort of accepted by society until I was older, until I was like my twenties. And then you're like, well, I'm just saying like, we're supposed to be opinionated as women. We're supposed to like use our voices. And then I don't think you realize until I was like, again, like 21, 22 and people in the media started paying attention to me that there's a lot of backlash that comes with that too. 
And I found it like really jarring for a while. Um, and then you just like everybody you just kind of like roll with it and move on. But I'm really lucky. My parents were just really um, into like debates. My mom still is. My dad obviously was until he died. And um, I feel really lucky. I see a lot of um, politicians, kids that are my age. And I, there's definitely like a sliding doors path of my life where I could be like a really docile, sweet, like cooking host on like a morning mm -hmm. show where you're like, doing dumb celebrity interviews, no disrespect. It's just so not yeah. anything I'm interested in or watch or whatever. And I just, it's not even like, it's like my DNA doesn't match that, but it's definitely like a road I think more is more common because, you know, being safe is cozier and easier. Right. And like, it'll put you on the cover of People Magazine and you can do mommy blog stuff. And it's just not my, not my personality. Yeah, I, I totally relate to that. And I think that from reading your book, it just shows that anyone can be outspoken, but not a lot of people want to be. They don't want to put themselves in that uncomfortable space that you and I tend to do to ourselves for, you know, the fight for the truth and all of this stuff. So I think in surgery as a woman, you know, another thing that I, I related to your book was that they want to kind of put you in a box, you know, they want to say, oh, if you're going to be a political commentator, if you want to be a surgeon, you have to just behave this way, address this way. And um, if you veer out of that, or if you try to be, you know, the multifaceted human being that we all are, it's kind of, you know, uh, not acceptable. And I know that you went through that where people were making fun of your hair color, or the way that you spoke, um, but you said you had support during that time. Where did you find support? Where did you find support that when you were getting bullied by these people that maybe you even looked up to before that you were just like, you know what, I'm going to keep staying to my true core values and to myself and keep pushing through? Because I think that can be so inspiring to people who are listening, especially our young speakers that kind of know what they want to say, but are afraid to say it. Well, I um, like you're such an icon. I mean, first of all, like my so many of my friends are so obsessed with you. And one of my my best friend who happens to be a gay man who lives in West Hollywood was like, she is the premier plastic surgeon in America and the creme de la creme. And if you ever need anything done, you have to go to her. Like, of course I would. Um, but you, you know, you have this incredible career on yourself in TV and in surgery, which is no small feat at all. Those are like, I don't even pretend to understand medicine, but I know that television is just a fucking shit show. I hope I can swear. Mm -hmm. oh, very, very difficult space. Um, I would argue like as difficult as politics. Mm -hmm. um, so you clearly know, and you know that when you go into rooms in whatever boxes you're checking off, that's not, you know, whatever, like a yeah. straight male, whatever, um, mm -hmm. people are just going to look at you in a different way. Um, I had the misfortune of coming up in the sort of like 2000s era when it was like really common. Like we have a new like way we look at women now, but this was like the Britney Spears, Lindsay Lohan bullying era. And mm -hmm. I was sort of like caught up in that a little bit and my career actually launched because of bullying. So I don't, I think that's why I like sort of had a lot of support. My career launched because Laura Ingram, who's mm -hmm. a conservative host called me fat and it like went every, like exploded. And I was 22 or 23 mm -hmm. and it like blew up everywhere. And I ended up going on like shows and talking about it. And it was sort of at the same time when Tyra Banks was being bullied for being fat. And then I ended up mm -hmm. going on Tyra Banks show and talking about it. And so I realized that like, 
I can talk about the election and politics all day long, but women are really interested in being called fat and why fat shaming is so bad. So I sort of always saw it as a plus and I actually ended up sending her um, flowers afterward because I was like, thanks for the press. Like it made me, people see me as like a, like a wholly nuanced person. Um, so I think again, and it's just like stuff that wouldn't happen now. Like no one would accept that now. Like Lizzo is like one covers mm-hmm. millions of magazines. Like people just don't accept the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, I'm so contrarian that like when people bully me, even if I'm like angry or upset, I, I push back really hard, really quick. And I'm very like fiery even now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't know. I, I, it's a great, it's a good thing that always kind of saves me because I don't stay sad for too long. I have like a five. Do you second. think you were born that way? Or do you think that that's like a journey of getting there? I think I'm really lucky that I have like a great family that's very supportive and like never judge me for anything. And I also think I have like great friends mm-hmm. and a great agent as cheesy as that sounds. I've been with the mm-hmm. same agent since I was 22. I'm 38. Um, I like feel, which is apparently unusual to like be that connected, but like my people right. stay with. Um, and I just think I have people who always like, I, I got really lucky in a lot of different ways. I've been surrounded by people who like were always supportive and um, the only time things got like when I really started questioning myself and had like a very difficult time was actually the last two years on The View. That was mm-hmm. the only time I sort of had like a existential crisis. And it was like, I had a baby, COVID, like there was like a lot of other factors at play, but mm-hmm. that was the only time that I felt like I was really like questioning everything, like what I was doing, what I was saying. And um, I've been very open about that. Do you think it's because you were a mom and you're like, crap, I have to protect my family and maybe this isn't just about me anymore, but you know, what if this affects my child or what do you think it was? You have three children, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So it is so ridiculously cliche and I hate when moms say this because like, I don't, I think women who aren't moms can obviously experience this as well. But for me, I have a daughter I'm pregnant with another daughter, Mm -hmm. like surrounded by girls. Mm -hmm. And I just had this moment of like, do I want her to think this is how women talk to each other? Do I want her to think this is how the world is? Do I want her to think this is how she'd be treated if she has a baby? And I felt like I just was not leading by example and that it ultimately was, I'd been there so long that it just ultimately wasn't the kind of environment. And I'm not like hokey saccharine, like we all have to get along. Like I like debating. Yeah. Um, it's more the cat fighting bullshit that I couldn't take anymore. Like I was just over it. Like the, you know, the many viral moments anyone can Google and yeah. um, that are just like so disrespectful and angry on everyone's parts. I just didn't want to, I don't want to be that example anymore. And like, I'm one of two hosts in the 25 year history of the show to quit and not be fired. Um, mm-hmm. And I take that as like a badge of honor because I probably could have stayed for, I had a long contract that I left and I just didn't want to be part of that example anymore. If that makes sense. That day after you left, what, when you woke up, how did you feel? It was kind of like, what did I do? <laughs> like, I was like, oh my gosh, like I, like I pulled this ripcord, but I'm like incredibly like impulsive. Like I have tattoos, like I'm kind of you a drug <laughs> too. Like I just kind of like, I know how to like jump when I need to. And I just was like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> and um, I think my agent, when I originally told him was like, are you sure, sure, sure. Um, but it's been, you know, it's been like a year plus since and mm-hmm. I don't regret anything. That's awesome. No, um, I think that's so brave 
to know because I, I have a friend, she did surgical residency. She did plastic surgery. She did a hand fellowship and literally never practiced a day in her life. She's like, I did it. I'm done. I'm burned out. And this isn't where I want to go with my life. And I just always in the beginning, I was like, oh my God, what are you doing? But then now being a little bit older, I'm like, that's so brave that you knew that you did it. You proved what you wanted to do. You did it. And now you're going to move on to the next chapter in your life. So I think that that's super brave. What, um, what? what does she do now? She makes shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I know, seriously. So in this, you know, with, with the second child coming, um, what keeps you up at night? The, the world we're in, the climate. I've never, um, you live in California, correct? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I live in DC. Well, I live like right outside DC. I live right outside mm-hmm. the Belt, technically the Beltway. Um, mm-hmm. And I, this is so ridiculous, but when I am now looking at schools and preschools for my child and schools for her to go to, there is a list of things I am now thinking about and looking about at that I never would have, it never would have occurred to me. And one of the things I think unites us is you and I are both very strong Zionists and like mm-hmm. anything pro-Palestine in any way, like if I see a flag or a sign or anything like free Palestine, like it's off the table. And I actually have a, um, a consultant I've been working with to try and find schools. And I'm like, mm-hmm. Education is extremely important, obviously. Right. Like, stop. But I was like, culture stuff is also param. It's like 50-50 for me. And mm-hmm. there is a list of things that just are like, I, I'm just not comfortable with. That is a crazy thing to think about for preschool and elementary school. But I see so many things changing in the world in so many different ways that make me uncomfortable and scared. And um, that's what keeps me up at night. I was pregnant in 2020, obviously, when mm-hmm. everything was so wild and crazy. And I remember um, I sent a tweet out about the George Floyd protests um, and the neighborhood I was then living in mm-hmm. in New York. And I was like, this, this my neighborhood's a mess, blah, blah, blah. Cause it was right after all the looting and the, the mm-hmm. rioting. And I got so much shit, like just exploded everywhere. And people were so angry. And I was so defiant that I was like, violence for me is just never the answer. And destroying things is never the answer and destroying like the bodega down the street with the immigrant right. family runs is not okay with me. And I was really, I felt really isolated that summer, physically mm-hmm. isolated because of COVID, mm-hmm. uh, socially isolated and politically isolated, just where we are. But I also felt like defiant. And now we're talking like two and a half years later, I'm like, I was right. <laughs> and a lot yeah, of people, exactly. like, data. Isn't that <laughs> so funny that like everything that the crazies quote unquote were saying all ended up coming true. Like I'm looking at the Twitter files being released right now. I'm looking at some of the vaccine side effects. Like as a physician, I look at a bottle of Tylenol and it's got 12 side effects on it. How can you tell me any surgical, non-surgical, medical, any treatment could have possible side effects. So I was uh, kind of talking about that in, in you know, my Instagram. I wasn't able to DM people for a while. They shut off all of the stuff. I was getting shadow banned and now it's all coming to light. And I'm like, you know, see. you dealt with it though? Because you're in LA, I believe, right? Or, yeah. or And you are in a straight entertainment. I mean, you're on Netflix, which is like full. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they very, you know, that's not political at all. It's just like straight entertainment. Mm-hmm. And you're in sur- plastic surgery, which is you know, it is a luxury. It's not like, you know, luxury people do. So you're hitting like a lot of boxes that like quote elites and like, you know, more culturally diverse people 
um, away from, you know, I guess people think like me, I guess, even though I know everyone I know watches the show, but how do you manage it? Because a lot, I actually know, I'm sure you do a lot of people who are more center right center right conservative who are in the entertainment industry who are petrified petrified and scared to death it's terrible like i feel bad for them and think that maybe justifiably that their lives and livelihoods would be taken so how do you know it's really funny like i'll go to like a prager you fundraiser and they'll all be there and i'm like you guys let's take a picture and they're like no 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 photos no photos Uh, like they don't want to they'll support but they don't want to like financially but they don't want to say that they were at that event I think with me, I was talking to one of my um, YPO people uh, on Shabbat uh, about this. I'm able to say things, I think, because of the color of my skin, being an immigrant, coming to this country with nothing on the back of a pickup truck, like um, being self-made, being a physician. So I think like I hit all of these like acceptability boxes where I'm able to say something like where if I I feel like a white counterpart would say it, they would call them privileged. If anyone calls me privileged, I'm like, nothing was handed to me. This is success. Yeah. Success is not something to be ashamed of. Remember, like it's not, you know, so I just think like these negative connotations for success are just unacceptable. What are we teaching our kids then? Um, I'm able to talk about what happened in Iran, which happened so quickly, and I'm smelling the same smells in America. Um, You know, divide and conquer, censorship, the media being a propagandist arm for one side, you know, of the government, socialism, um, you know, all of these things. I'm like, no, (laughs) not America can't go down, you know. So for me, I I feel like uh, I'm able to speak. Number one, number two, when I started posting, I dropped 3000 followers in like the first half an hour with my first, you know, kind of post, whether it was about Israel or Judaism or conservative um, ish things. Um, I posted something about being a gun owner and then the NRA reposted it and I'm like, who am I? (laughs) What's happening? (laughs) So, but I, but I am self-employed. And what you said in the beginning of this was is so true. Like you can't have people obsessed with you unless you have an equal number of people who hate your guts. Like mm-hmm. you can't be walking this fine tightrope and expect, expect people to be obsessed with you. It just doesn't work that way. So um, my patience, I thought I was going to lose my patience, but I was like, listen, I, I have, you know, I made it, you know, like even if I have half the patience I have, I'm okay with that. I need to make this world safe for my kids and I need to make it a world that I know that they'll flourish and thrive in and not be ashamed of working hard and all those things. Um, so what happened was a complete opposite of what I thought was going to happen. I thought I was going to lose patience. No, I have 70% of my patients fly in. Really? They're flying in, not just because they like my work, but because they like what I stand for. They want to support me. And I'll literally have like post-op patients naked in the room and they're, and I'll, and I'll walk in and they're like, you know, when I first started posting, they're like, I loved you before. I'm obsessed with you now. And they're like hugging me naked. And I'm like, you're naked. (laughs) So I just think, um, you know, God rewards the authentic. And I've even had patients tell me I was praying for you. And I felt like God came into my heart and said that he knows who you are and that he's watching your path. Like, it's just like a much deeper connection. And I think it's so cool when people know who you are and know what you stand for and love you for it. It's such a good feeling to know, okay, I'm not being a fake version of myself or a watered down version of myself. People, when they say they love me, they love me for who I really am. 
The other thing too I found is a lot of people were walking a tightrope 10 years ago saying what they think they should say and what they think they should say isn't acceptable anymore. So now they're backtracking and trying to like figure out how to say, oh, I didn't mean that. That's not what I actually thought. I just said it because everybody else was saying it. So I just feel like, again, if you just stay true to yourself and, you know, come from a place of love, even if people talk shit about you, your, your followers who actually know you won't believe it. Yeah. You're controlling the conversation about you, the digital conversation about you. So it was really hard as, especially as like a Persian girl, you know, you're supposed to be docile. You're supposed to be quiet. You're supposed to get the straight A's, but not brag about it. Um, I think finding my voice and then actually, you know, using it on my platform was very scary. My husband was like, what are you doing? You're putting us in danger, but I just couldn't stop. And I don't know why. I just think it was for my kids. I think as parents and as mothers, we come from a place of like, we need to build a better world for our sisters, for our daughters, for our sons, whatever. And so I just couldn't shut up. And um, I didn't have mentors showing me how to do that. I just couldn't stop. Mm -hmm. But no, I'm really glad I did it. I'm really happy. Um, it pulled people into my life that are equally authentic and equally cool um, and brave. I think it's amazing. I mean, I followed your social media a long time too. And again, like I think even during those times of, you know, societal unrest and all the crazy things that are happening in so many different ways, just knowing you're not alone, even mm -hmm. for me, I'm like, well, she's got a lot to lose. She's got a, you know, your huge career on many different mediums yeah. and still saying things, but it's, it's isolating. I mean, I'm sure you've experienced this, like as many amazing friends as I've, it's like, it's switched. Mm -hmm. like, I made a lot of friends and have a lot of community, but I also lost some in mm -hmm. the meantime people that were like, Mm, like you're you know you're, you're not going to be invited to like cool like the Atlantic Christmas party and like I don't know if I'm going to affect me with your conservative disease and the most interesting thing for me and I don't know if you've experienced this because I know you're obviously a Jewish yeah. woman and I am not mm -hmm. but I have said so many things over the years that people interpret as controversial I have done mm -hmm. so many things that people interpret as controversial I never get the kind of bile and insanity and threats that I do unless it's something touching anti-Semitism. And the very first time I did it yeah. was when I had the women's march. They had the, they invited the leaders of the women's march on and they yeah. wouldn't condemn Farrakhan and calling Jewish people termites. And I was like, just condemn it. And they wouldn't. And it, it, it imploded like everywhere. And I was like trending on Twitter for like three days and mm -hmm had like these like disgusting cartoons made of me. And then um, people saying that I was like, you know, like trying to be like a fake Jewish savior, like just crazy insanity. I had like yeah. um, the lead singer of Vampire Weekend, like tweeting nasty stuff at me, just like insane, insane stuff. And still to this day, like abortion, gun rights, whatever, it obviously invokes a reaction. Mm -hmm. Anti-Semitism and talking about Israel is a next level, crazy, insane like I don't care again like I'm so far gone from like yeah. caring kind of thing anymore like the cat's so out of the bag it's so gone but I see how it scares people like I yeah. see how it's and again it's not your nature it's not my nature but mm -hmm. I want to know if that's your experience too if like that's the issue that people yeah I mean, first of all, I just want to say on behalf of all my Jewish people, thank you and thank your husband so much because as you know there's only 15 million of us. But you know what? It's it's not hard. That's the thing that makes me most crazy is it's, this isn't hard. It's like no. you learn when you're like 10 and I was brought to the Holocaust Museum when I was 12. Like, 
but and that's that's what I was gonna say Megan like you were taught that stuff from a young age coming from Iran I think what a lot of um uh people don't realize here in America a people don't share the core, same core values as you. A lot of Americans think, oh, everyone wants to be American. Everyone wants to have the freedoms we have. And it's like, no, there are people in the world, believe it or not, that do not share the same core values um, as Americans do and don't wanna be America and think America's Satan. So no, that's number one. Number two, there's a lot of brainwashing, a mm. lot, a lot. We just had Massey Alina Jod at my house. Um, we hosted her last week on Wednesday night with FBI agents here and craziness. And I went up and I stood up before I invited her to speak. And I said, listen, when stuff was happening with, with Israel, I did not have any hesitation. I was posting eight and a half hours a day in addition to my job and my kids, waking up for the first time in my life with anxiety, did that to myself. But I just couldn't stop because I know that if you took me, pick me up, stuck me in Israel and somebody was beating me up, people would come to my rescue. Mm -hmm. If you pick me up and put a Jewish loud woman in Iran right now, would people come to my rescue like two years ago, a year ago, six months ago? No. And they didn't. And I said this to her. I said, so why should I'm sick of it? I'm sick of being a Jew and defending everyone else and showing up for everyone else. And the child in me is sick of it mm -hmm. when you won't do the same for me and you haven't done the same for me. So it was really interesting, her answer. She stood up and she said, as a child, I've said death to so many people. No child should say death to this many times. Death to Israel, death to the Jews, death to America, death to Baha'is. She's like, I was brainwashed. And we have to admit that brainwashing is real. Mm -hmm. It's in the textbooks. They have multiple choice questions in the fourth grade. What is a Jew? A, B, C, or all of the above. And you know, it's all these terrible things, all of the above. Um, and as a physician, I look at it as a diagnosis and treatment. If we're not willing to talk about brainwashing, if we're not willing to talk about racism against Jews, Jew hatred from a young age in these countries, how are we ever going to treat it if we're not making the correct diagnosis? And up until now, I have never seen moderate Muslims standing up against extremism. I hadn't seen moderate Muslims just say, no, this is, this is not the part of our religion. This extremism does not represent us because they were scared. And a lot of other non-Muslims wouldn't speak up because they would call you Islamophobic, mm -hmm. right? But how are we gonna treat this problem of extremism if we don't call it out? And if we're so scared of being labeled Islamophobic, I'm not Islamophobic, I'm Islamist phobic, <laughs> you know? And so with all this stuff happening in Iran for the first time, in America and in the diaspora, I'm seeing people calling out extremism. And I'm so grateful for that because I've seen what extremism can do. My family had to leave everything behind and, you know, being shot at while trying to cross the border into Pakistan, getting spit on as a child for being Jewish. We have to talk about extremism. We have to talk about brainwashing because it's real. So you were brought up to go to the Holocaust Museum. You were brought up with a Zionist family that taught you about Israel and, and the friendship and the alliance and you know having a democracy, having a light in that you know kind of darkness um, with so many human rights violations happening. Um, many, many, many people are brought up in the exact opposite way, um, and so we have to we have to address that before we can even hope to overcome it. We, I mean, I didn't know that calling yourself a Zionist was controversial until like, cause it wasn't up until like a year and a half yeah. ago. 
yeah it was just something that is a to me like a it's a political label like anything else like right this label I mean for me it's obviously political because I'm Christian but um I tell my dad to find himself like it's how my mother did so it's not I feel like a great luxury that and a privilege that my dad's best friend up until he died was a senator named Joe Lieberman and he's Mm -hmm. an orthodox Jewish man and I was raised with his family and we went on vacations together and they came to our ranch all the time. And um, it was just a normal space that I didn't think about it. And I didn't, cause to me, like anti-Semitism was just something that was so like, like racism, like it's something that's like yeah. so ancient and so like, like civilized people do not speak this way and do anything. And you're like a crazy psycho trash person, if that's how you behave and think. And when this sort of started bubbling up in the past like four years in a really intense and distinct mm-hmm. way. And now we're seeing like, you know, rises in historic hate crimes and things like that. Um, I can remember being in meetings in different media spaces and hearing things. And I was like, do you know what you're saying? Cause like, that's really bad. And like, you're really, you sound really like, I can remember specifically one editorial meeting where I was like, that did not just come out of your mouth. Like, mm-hmm. I, know, I, I don't think you know what that means. Like, I don't think you really know what the right means like I think you need to like take a pause and then we had to have like a discussion about it and I was like no no like you don't know what that means and then come to I felt like I still feel like I'm gaslit like there's this like marker that's been moved of like what's acceptable and what's not and I remember at the time being like it's really dangerous what you're saying is really dangerous and now we're seeing that it's really dangerous and I woke up this morning like um my this is so cheesy last night my um first night of Hanukkah, obviously I was saying happy Hanukkah mm-hmm. to my friends. And I was sending the Adam Sandler Hanukkah song because mm-hmm. and I love Adam Sandler. And I was, try- I was, I was like, I know all the words. And I was like singing it to my daughter and singing it to my friend. I was like, you only know it because I love Adam Sandler and like whatever. Yeah. And I woke up this morning, like having this, like, you know, or last night it was like, oh, have, you know, happy Hanukkah friends, whatever. Woke up with the New York Times having their crossword puzzle. I know. And I was like, for every, like, and again, I don't believe in coincidences. I think somebody did it intentionally. I, think I agree it, with you. Like, I just and don't. it's not the first time. Did you know that? No, I did not. In 2017, that. they did it. They did it. And they got a lot of heat for it. And then they do it again on the first night of Hanukkah. I just don't believe in coincidences, particularly yeah. in media and politics. And I think for every, like, there just seems to be so many things that just are passing and crazy things that are happening that people are like sort of paying attention to, but not as much. And I'm totally rambling, but um that's what this podcast is for. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it has not been something that I intended to do. It just came naturally because I felt like a bunch of, there are a bunch of instances and especially like the war a few springs ago. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not saying anything except I'm pro-Israel and this is insane. And I can remember being on my Instagram live um, mm-hmm. and being like, um, I know who I am and I know what I believe. And if I die alone here, yeah. just me. I am not, my dad will come up from his grave and haunt me if I somehow like came in the middle. And a lot of like, and even like when I was working like again, like ABC and different media spaces, people are very scared of this subject and very scared to like mm-hmm. anger people. And I'm like, I don't care if I'm angering anyone. I don't care anymore. And clearly you don't either. Um, but I wish people wouldn't be so hesitant and sort of like want to debate things in a way that we don't with Asian hate, obviously, exactly. black hate, any other kind of forms of bigotry. And 
you know, I've criticized um, Congresswoman Elhan Omar and I got annihilated for it because she said that, you know, a bunch of anti-Semitic tropes about Jews yeah. the world and God, I got so much, it was just like, oh my God. And like Seth Meyers has this whole thing where he was like, we need to be careful about how we talk about people. Yeah. And it's like, I need to be careful about how I talk about her. She doesn't need to be careful about how she talks about anyone else. And I find the bias and I'm just repulsed by so much of what I've seen. And I'm only like a tiny voice, but I will never. You're not a tiny voice. You're a massive I'm voice. <laughs> no, no, no. You know what I found too? Like I'm a tiny voice, right? But um, I get so many messages of people being like, you know, you, I, I followed you and you spoke out. And so I feel like I have permission to speak out. So I feel like tiny or not tiny, it's so important that we speak up against insanity, um, regardless of whatever hate comes our way, because it is, it lights, it sparks somebody else to do the same. And if we spark enough of it, then, you know, again, the future for our kids will be better. Oh my gosh, this is so nice. I feel like I have kindred it's spirit. Sorry, I know all the light topics. <laughs> no, I know. Um, so yeah, I would say what, what else is, you know, what is next for you? Um, I, uh, right now I write two to three columns a week for the daily mail, which I love doing. And I have two projects that should hopefully be announced, um, coming up in, after the new year in the back in the TV space, which I'm like very nervous about and excited and like nervous and excited. I never thought I would do, um, other media again. I feel like I'm, I can get, I don't know if you ever get burned out from like doing. Oh my God. Yes. I can't again, like my job's so dumb. Like your job, like is literally like, no, it's not, it's hard work it's hard work and being on all the time is exhausting. <laughs> like, and it's actually very similar, like being a surgeon and going into the room, you have to be on, you have to really like feel, you know, how does this patient want to be spoken to? Am I a mother to this patient today? Am I a friend? Am I a cousin? Am I an older sister? Am I a physician and very authoritarian? So I feel like it's actually very similar to being on TV in the sense that you have to kind of like feel your subject and like adjust your tone. How many do you do like a week? like surgeries so I'll tell you the Nazarian special is like someone flying in for two weeks getting like literally everything done I'm talking facelift eyelids breast tummy tuck vagina like liposuction and fat transfer they stay in town for a couple weeks and then they go home and tell their friends they did like a retreat at Joshua Tree and drank a lot of water Mm -hmm. or something (laughs) so that's usually like an eight to ten hour surgery once a week and then I have another like day where I'll do like three to four smaller ones, like a breast dog or like labiaplasty or just like a breast lift or something like that. But typically patients fly in and then they just get everything done. And then they go home and they tell their friends something like I got five facials in LA. And they're like, wow, great facials, you know? So funny. I have <laughs> a no, I just, I, again, with like entertainment too, I know it's early mornings, hair and makeup, like it's a lot. And then they make you like say things over and over again. And you feel like you have to say it with the same amount of passion and emotion. It's a lot. And you get home and you just like face plant into your bed because it's exhausting. So I feel like everything has its own impact and um, not one thing is more important than the other. I feel like we're all just inspiring and changing people's lives and helping in our own way. And there's no one way to do that. So no, I, I think they're similar. Did you always want to be a surgeon? actually wanted to either be an architect or an orthopedic surgeon because I loved woodshop but then in architecture you couldn't actually build it and I wanted to build it and then I started following an orthopedic surgeon it wasn't creative at all it was like literally put something you cut around it and then you stick the piece on I was like this sucks 
I, I mean, no, no disrespect, love orthopedic surgeons. They're the coolest. And, um, but then I, some, one of my friends was like, look into plastic surgery. And I was like, okay. And then I got to the point that if I wasn't accepted into plastic surgery, I probably wanted, would have gone into like the business of medicine, not, I wouldn't have done any other mm-hmm. part of medicine, you know? so intense. You're, you know, helping people with their bodies and their faces. And, you know, I know you do things with like burn victims and people mm-hmm. like that and just reach like you're literally changing someone's life and uh, you know women know like your our appearance is still like you know it helped as our confidence in so many ways 100%. And, um I mean I it's just such a gift I can't do I can like I can't do anything like like I would never I hate blood like I could never do what you do circumstances. no I mean fun fact I used to pass out at the sight of blood like I used to pass out once a month my mom had to carry you know those honeys that they put on the hotel like table for free those little ones and she would literally reach into her bag put her finger in and stick it under my tongue so I'd like wake up (laughs) I was like the weak child no one can believe that I do what I do and honestly sometimes I'll be in surgery and I'm like what is my life? Like, what am I, why do people pay me to do this to them? You know, but I mean, it is, it is being kind of like being a therapist with a knife or a laser or a needle. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I think it's quality of life, right? So if you can change someone's quality of life, it's such a gift, whether you're doing it through inspiring them through your words or book or surgery, I, I just think it's all almost like growth and all self-care and in, into that category of living your most fulfilled life. Mm-hmm. So I think it's all useful. No, I, I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So last question, I always like to end, end this. You've had so many viral things go around. You've had so many memes. If you could have one thing from this podcast go viral, what would you want it to be? Oh my gosh. One thing from our podcast go viral. Um, just like you said, to speak out and to women like, you know, can, can, you know, you don't have to feel like you're and like a slave to what society wants you to be that you don't have to go down a normal path um I get it like I do get why people get scared I I get it because sometimes I've certainly had my moments where I'm like oh my gosh I'm just so isolated and people treat you different I don't know if it's ever happened to you but I've definitely been in situations where um I can tell someone's like talking to me a different way because they don't like the things I say or Mm -hmm. that someone's like you know, I was like on a flight home to Arizona and this lovely flight attendant was like crying, talking to me about like stuff I'd said. And it's like, you get both. You get like people yeah. who don't want to sit next to you at restaurants and then people who are doing wonderful things. But like, for me, like the road less traveled is so much more compelling than having a predictable life of safety. I don't want that. I never have. And also, like you said, there's just so much at stake right now in so many different ways. And I really don't want to look back on my life and be like, I could have said something or done something. Mm-hmm. But I really wanted to have a cooking segment on the Today Show. Like, it's just not my style. And it's also like, I don't think what lasts, you know? It's a very long story. What do you want to go viral or last? Oh my gosh. I mean, I think it's that you can never be lambasted for sticking to your core values. Mm-hmm. And if you just stick to your core values and come from a place of love, um, God will be behind you. and you will, you will be on the right path. You know, I, I just, I feel like so many people try to conform to what other people think they should be or how they should behave. Um, that's number one. And then the other thing too, is you can be everything. You can have your cooking segment. You can be a political commentator. You can be a mom. You can cook for your husband and your family. 
Um, you can also order out, but you know, I just think like also exploring every facet of who you are helps you prevent burnout and helps you live the most fulfilled and full life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree. I definitely agree. And like I said, you're so brave in the industry and the place you live. I used to live in LA. It's intense. It's very intense. I think I have the blessing of being uh, surrounded with a lot of Persian Jews who tend to lean more conservative anyways, just because of, you know, our trauma comes from socialism. So we're here and we're like, we don't understand. We don't understand. <laughs> like, how could you think this way? Um, but I'm starting to, you know, I'm starting to understand. And as you know, as, as, right-leaning people I have no problem listening to the other side of the story I have no problem hearing it I just feel like very frustrated when they won't even listen um or they won't consider the other side so that's very frustrating to me I listen to everybody and I always want to know the uh, I want to know what everyone's thinking like Mm -hmm. I that's why I fear censorship so much because I don't want this stuff in the darkness I want it in the light for everybody to see Like, I don't, I really want to know what my enemy is and like people on the other side are thinking. And I know I want to know what radicalism looks like. And I, I totally agree with you that like, there's so much that is, is scaring me about the future, but also like, I feel really empowered because clearly you and I are not alone. I mean, there's a giant right. swath of Americans that agree. And like, you know, you and I are both like thinking the same generation women, like, mm-hmm a lot of diversity on our side too that I think people would rather ignore and you know you see the you see the data things are shifting too people really don't like socialism particularly Hispanic American yeah yeah because they know fascinating demographic that's shifting so far away from Democrat party Miami is apparently never going to vote Democrat again that's how like overwhelmingly mm-hmm. in on my side it is but um, yeah, I don't feel, I don't feel totally like pessimistic and like the world's coming to, I know it sounds like that, but mm-hmm. I'm scared about a lot of things, but I still feel like confident that, you know, there's a lot of smart people that are paying attention to. Yeah. I feel the same way. And I, and I think people like you <laughs> give me a lot of hope. And I know you, you kind of tend to be very humble and like poo-poo yourself and you're like, no, I'm a small voice. Like, no, you're a massive voice. You are a giant voice. You're an important voice. You inspire me. You inspire so many people and we have your back. Thank you. No, we do. We have your back and we're huge fans. So with that, I just want to thank you so much. For... I'm a fan of yours, so. <laughs> we will meet soon. We will meet soon. Yeah. I know I invited you to my daughter's bat mitzvah. No, <laughs> but and I think we're like nine and a half months pregnant. I know I would totally go. I literally, I really want to go, but I was like, I can't be pregnant. And no. last year I had to work. And I remember seeing so many of my friends there and I was like, that party looks awesome. It was awesome. <laughs> so it was fun. Good. We missed you. We'll have another one. <laughs> did you do one this year or are you doing one this year? Now? This year um, we didn't, but I, I really do want to like claim Hanukkah as like a festival of lights um, and have like a massive Hanukkah blowout every year. It's just so fun. And there's so much you can do. Like we had ladies with like candles on their head dances. <laughs> Yes, there's a lot to do with light the light theme uh, and I feel like you know it's very apropos like we are the light and yeah. um yeah so I, I just really want I know to know it's not the light. holiday like I know it's like, yeah. like Christmas season. like I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I to know it's not like but I still think it's you know fun to have a party it is it is so all right Megan thank you so much to be continued for sure have an easy delivery and a safe rest of your pregnancy can't wait to meet her Um, and yeah, big, big hugs and big love from all of us to you.
Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you subscribe to my show and rate it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else that you're listening. And make sure you follow me on social media. See you next time.